Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also called Alex, and I am joined, as always, by two very good Keyforge friends of mine and yours. We've got SC Steele. Hey, hey. And Boulevard Blake. What's happening, Coach? Yo, what's going on? Not too much. I understand you wanted to start things off with a very special Help From Future Self announcement. Well, I don't know if some people are going to like this, but uh, today, this Thursday, is going to be the last time you guys are going to be hearing us on this day. Because we are moving to Mondays. Monday, Monday, (laughs) Monday. That is the new Help From Future Self day when we drop episodes. We are not going anywhere. You will still hear us regularly you know what that also means you get another episode this monday that's right so you're hearing us today thursday and you'll get another dose of help from future self on monday our new date of release uh, and this is basically just because of scheduling uh, everyone's schedules uh, shifted a little bit so uh, we shifted with it and uh, i think you getting to start the week with all of our voices and your dose of knowledge and funsiness from uh, the crew is a, is a pretty good way to start the week. What do you guys think? Couldn't agree more. I'm super excited about it, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, uh, life changes, things change a little bit. And I really like the discussion around this was basically like, all right, how are we going to make this work for everybody? Because it's obviously important to all of us that Help from Future Self continues to come out on a weekly basis. We didn't want to go on hiatus. We didn't want to have to change things in such a way that people would be getting less episodes. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the idea of us just altering the schedule slightly and then putting out the podcast in such a way that people can really begin their Keyforge week with it is, is quite exciting to me. Indeed. All right. So we are not here entirely to talk about the new schedule uh, dropping on Mondays going forward, uh, but uh, we are here to talk a little bit about a somewhat controversial topic, I'm just going to say it, and one that's been controversial within the Keyforge community for a long time, almost as long as it's been absolutely inescapable within the Keyforge community as a topic of discussion. We're going to be talking a little bit about where SAS stands right now. You pitched this one, Blake. What are your thoughts on it? So what made me think about this was just how, first off, that Nathan declared that DOK will be going on hiatus along with Keyforge, which means we won't be getting updates to SAS scores, which, I mean, if I don't know the amount of work that goes in the back end, but it's a pretty complex site, so I imagine there is quite a bit of work updating and everything, and if mm-hmm. uh, the game is kind of on hold, maybe that makes sense. The unfortunate side of it is is that I feel quite strongly that Dark Tidings is not accurately represented currently, so that means the newest set that we have in our opening for the foreseeable future will not be corrected in a way that represents how it plays to a degree. And what I mean by that statement is, is I think the actual individual card ratings are not exactly up to scratch as some of the other sets. Mm-hmm. So when you see that base arc score on your DOK page for any given deck, that number may not quite be representing what is actually going on in your deck. Over time, the more that cards are played, the more data that we have on those cards. And so it's a lot easier to get a a good feel for how good a card performs over the course of time. And so if um, Dark Tidings were to be given as much time as all of the other sets for all the cards to 
be played more and data to be collected, it would be a little bit easier to um, to rate them. But if their ratings get stuck where they are today, it just won't be ac- as accurate going forward as all the other cards. And that being said, it doesn't mean that this isn't an incredible tool at our disposal. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's not running at a level at the moment that is going to be very helpful to new players or players who rely on that final score, which is the SAS score. But there is incredible tools within this site as a Keyforge player that you should be utilizing to help one catalog your collection and to be able to kind of get an idea what a deck can do without using that final score as the end all be all of what it is. Mm-hmm. Just to build off what Sydney was saying there, I think one of the most interesting things to me is the fact that SAS was always a living score. So it's not like the moment that AOA dropped, like all the CODA ratings were, were frozen in amber forever. You know, it was always a thing where new sets and the interactions of cards and the synergies between cards were always evaluated and reevaluated. And lots of things that were given high values early on when sets dropped would change over time. Either things that weren't immediately obviously super valuable would go up or things that very obviously were super valuable would go down just as the general meta around the game changed. And that was one of the most interesting things to me about it was seeing how accurately SAS could sort of capture those changes in the overall meta and that's kind of i think one of the interesting things about the 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 sas now sort of being as i said frozen in amber um as much as it does do a very good service to dark tidings um and unless it comes back with uh, the release of uh, winds of exchange whenever that should happen you know there is still a lot of value to be drawn from it but it's that final number that i think is something that you need to sort of uh, disengage your brain from just looking at that number and letting that be the shorthand is i think really sort of lost lost its value and it's really getting into the nitty-gritty details of what dok uh, and what makes up that score that the value is actually found in i agree I think that a lot of what makes up the score that creates SAS are things that are, that are factually true and things that can actually be used outside of a SAS score to, to evaluate a deck. And those are things that you might even want to get to know so that like when you're looking at a sealed deck, you can't scan that deck into Decks of Keyforge or into the Crucibles to look it up on Decks of Keyforge before you pick which deck you're going to use in a sealed game. And so a lot of the same things that go into evaluating a deck right in front of you to choose which one you're going to play are the same things that are available on Decks of Keyforge just splayed out in, in numerical or graph form so that it's a lot easier to evaluate decks that way. Could you give us some examples, Sydney? Oh, absolutely. So, like, um, one of the things that I always look for when I'm getting a sealed deck is uh, expected amber. So, basically, the the specific um, pips, there's raw amber, is the amount of amber that is printed onto a card. And so, when I'm looking at a sealed deck, I'll count how many raw amber pips I have on my cards. But one of the things that I also look at is when a card hits the table, will it generate amber for me? Not just if it has that pip, but if in the text of the card it's going to steal an amber or it's going to um, get an amber into my pool in some way, that is expected amber. So I'm still looking for a lot of those types of cards. And in um, on Decks of Keyforge, that is one of the um, statistics that are available to see in a, any given deck that you look up. Yeah, I mean, I that's one of the things that I do look at and I utilize 
Dexa Keyforge for is those those numbers beneath the SAS score, which is your Ember control, your expected Ember, your artifact control, creature control, speed under efficiency specifically is ones that I really pay attention to. And then looking at the board just gives you an idea as well. Like it's it's doing a lot of the work for you. Like I'm sure if you went through your deck, you could realize whether your creature has a big board presence or a small creature presence and tell, but it's like doing the work for you and giving you a number that can be uh, understood right away. So these are all tools that you can use to your advantage when looking for a deck when you want it to have specific things in it. We've been talking about the different um, themes and the the personalities of all the different houses. And what's kind of cool is we can kind of associate some of these ratings with different houses. For example, um, Logos and the efficiency score go hand in hand. You're really looking for a high efficiency score when you have a house with Logos uh, a deck with logos in it because logos is really good at drawing you cards and and cycling through your deck. So that's that's something that you can look into the analysis of the efficiency score on decks of Keyforge and and try and get a feel for the kinds of cards in your deck that are going to help you do that. And while looking at a deck without SAS and just looking at the stats behind that, you, you're really able to dig into is this the deck that'll play a way that I hope it will or a way that I like. And another another example of that is um, this goes hand in hand with disruption. So that score is something that is kind of actually hard to get a grasp of unless unless you look into how Decks of Keyforge describes what it does. So it's the kinds of things that affects your opponent or or reduces your opponent's ability to play or maybe does a little bit of control of your opponent. Whereas um, it, a lot of the other scores are directly how your your deck affects itself, or the creatures on your board, or the cards in your deck. So those are the kinds of things that you can really dig into on decks of Keyforge for each of the decks that you have, and and get a feel for how those affect what your deck can eventually do. Man, you both bring up some really excellent points, and one of the things I really want to focus in here is that you can use the scores that are provided on DOK to learn something about a deck before you even ever play it. Um, Blake, I know that, you know, you're, you're a master analyst. And one of the things that you've made so many YouTube videos about is opening up a deck, looking through it and trying to figure out how it's going to play before you ever play with it and then testing your theory. But for those of us who are perhaps not as analytically minded as you, you can look at what the scores are in particular areas and say, okay, this deck is high on expected amber, low on amber control. So I'm going to have to rush with it or it's got a heavy board presence or it's got lots of ways to cycle through the deck very quickly so I can start hunting for these particular cards uh, when I'm playing it. So those are the things that I think are really interesting to me at this point is ignore like the, the, the score at the top and really dig into what each of those scores means and how those might interact with one another in terms of a deck's play style. Yeah, and the, the other thing you can do as well, like as Sydney was going through all these different things and looking at the cards, it is important, I think, to not always just look at the number and be like, that's the number. It's good to actually see what's making it up, what's being giving it a lot of values. One that I particularly like to spend time looking at is the Ember control stat, which is an A. Because if you look at that, there are negatives in there because of the fact that exalting strikes against your Ember control score. But sometimes that 
does not tell the full tale. So it's it's good to have a look at that because I I understand that that is has a potential to work against you. But that's also only if you utilize it in that way. So kind of taking a look at what makes up a score and and the values there is is not something to be overlooked. You should take a look at how things are adding up to that number, what's being given certain values, because maybe you're like, oh, this card, I find it like doesn't do a lot of work. And then you look at it and it's like got a score of three. So it's like adding quite a significant amount to the overall score in that category. So it's just always nice to be fairly aware of what something is doing to the scores in your deck so that you're just in tune with how things happen and then you can also know what to expect like if you, like almost always if you have a saurian house in your uh, deck you're going to have your ember control stat slightly lower than the raw numbers are because there are factors contributing to a negative number that's a great point i think something that we we may have um not mentioned so far is SAS stands for synergies and anti-synergies. And I think that's where SAS gets a little bit subjective, where the the people who are coming together and deciding what scores cards have are actually adjusting the scores in ways that that aren't just based on facts and, and based on like mathematical aspects of the cards. There there are things that they decide these cards go well with and they synergize with so so they might boost their score or if there are cards in decks that are anti-synergistic so they have opposite goals in how they perform in your deck they their scores get lowered so that's a little bit where this um subjectivity comes in but that's also where you can come in and and your your knowledge of your deck and how it works together and even if you've never played a deck before, looking at the text on two cards and seeing that they don't necessarily mesh well together, but they might work well in the overall deck. That's where you going in and deciding what value you give to certain aspects of the cards can be as good as how the SAS rating is. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's definitely a good thing to, to, uh, to point out. Um. Yeah, so that's that's the way that I mainly use SAS is I'm looking at those numbers and there's also certain numbers that I like. And uh, it also has like a way you can catalog your collection and you basically can use those numbers and search for things. Like uh, maybe Sydney, I think you've probably utilized that more than I do because I know you play a lot of online tournaments that have uh, really interesting parameters around it. So um, how do you utilize Dexa Keyforge for that? Oh, absolutely. There are there have been so many SAS cap events that I've participated in that not only they wouldn't exist, or at least their their parameters wouldn't exist without SAS, but my ability to pick my decks wouldn't exist without SAS because I have so many decks that are in that range that I'm able to search by the very specific criteria that I want. Um, a, a good example of this is the the KFPL season that I made it into the um, the tournament that I won in was a tournament where you played with a partner and whether you win won or lost mattered but also how many keys you forged mattered so I actually looked for very specific criteria in my deck and I focused on amber generation and I actually went in with some key cheats as well because 
even if I lost a game, if I lost with two keys, it actually helped me in the overall tournament. So I searched decks of Keyforge. I searched my decks in decks of Keyforge for the criteria that I wanted that I thought would do the best under the criteria that the tournament had provided. And so not just SASCAP, but in general, there are certain um, variants out there right now that perform based based on the houses that are in your deck and so you might want to look through your collection and once you pick the three houses that you're going to play for this one deck you might want to sort your collection removing those three houses so that you can see the best decks or the decks with certain criteria that don't have those houses so they don't overlap and i think um aurora boris and uliette come to mind for those because you um yeah you can um, remove houses from the um, decks your opponents play so their options are limited based on the decks that they brought so you want to um, vary your houses in those cases so there are a lot of great ways to utilize your um, the the ability to store your collection in decks of Keyforge. I think one of the other things that I really love about decks of Keyforge, um, and that's completely divorced from SAS as a concept, um, and even ARC as a concept, is the fact that it had such a robust way of filtering searches um, between houses, presence of cards, amount of things. And so being able to really genuinely search for specific kinds of things within Keyforge was always really interesting to me. For example, uh, for, for no reason, uh, I once decided to try and figure out how many decks had three fuzzy Gruens in them. Um, I'm sure that comes as no surprise to anyone. And just knowing like <laughs> that, that uh, the actual rarity of that and being able to figure that out based on what had been registered within DOK, which of course is not every Keyforge deck. I mean, we know for a fact there's lots of people who don't ever put their uh, Keyforge decks into DOK. Um, just being able to do that was really interesting to me as a person who collects that style of deck. But I also found that it was interesting when we were getting into discussions of impact of certain cards or combinations, because we could really start to look at, okay, well, you know, if, if we're afraid of, say, something like Genka running away with the game entirely, how many Genka decks are there? How many Genka decks that have the ability to recur are there out there? How many out there that have the combination more than once? How many out there are in decks that uh, otherwise can still be playable outside of just the Genka thing? And that really was enlightening, I think, many times in research for this podcast and being able to look at those sorts of things. Yeah, totally true. We would also be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that uh, Decks of Keyforge also like a completely separate service that it provides is it's probably one of the better places to look on the secondary market for decks because you can contact the people who have their decks uploaded like if they all decks can be found on decks of keyforge but you can associate decks with yourself and that is how you get your collection onto decks of keyforge but if someone is interested in a deck you have they can reach out to you through decks of keyforge to try and and trade with you or purchase it from you but you can also you can sell decks you can have a selection of decks that you're going to sell on Decks of Keyforge, and then that makes it um, into the marketplace on on there, and then people can search through the marketplace and see what's available. So that's also a, a completely separate service that Decks of Keyforge provides. Ultimately, I think one of the things that we really have to keep in mind is that, like so many other things with Keyforge, the Crucible being another key example, this was a labor of love for the person who was behind it. And I think, uh, although we don't know if it will come back from hiatus or when that will be, it's important to acknowledge the fact that 
this was really key to the growth of Keyforge, and it was done basically with you know very little very little uh, profit to be made from the person who was actually putting it together and maintaining it. And so, uh, and important to acknowledge, I think that this was a community effort, and for you know all the various things that we've said about SAS and DOK over the years, we really appreciate and acknowledge the fact that this was something that was important to the community, helpful to the community, and still has a lot of value within the community, even though it is no longer being updated right now. Definitely. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one is called Help from Future Self. Self. Uh, I've got one here. Um, After we had a conversation about it a little while ago, I decided that I was going to go back and replay some of my favorite early Keyforge decks just to see how they would do in the current meta. And so I loaded them up into uh, the Crucible, and I took them out for a spin, and I had some fun with them. But uh, I had one of the first games I played, uh, I got ganked, and then one of the second games I played, I got brigged. And both times, I felt a little bit salty about it. Like, I came here to, <laughs> you know, sort of play play kind of like, you know, I was in competitive, in fairness, and all is fair and competitive, but I felt like I'd been shortchanged. Like, I came for a game, and I ran into sort of like killer combos that if you just don't have the answer to, the game's over. Um, and what I realized for myself was this wasn't my opponent's fault. This was my fault because at the very beginning of the game, I was not doing my due diligence in checking to see what kind of deck my opponent was playing, bringing up their deck list, having a look at it and remembering, and this is possibly even something we've said on the podcast before, you are not obligated to play the game that you load into. If you look at your opponent's deck and realize that you're running up against a super hardcore deck that the deck that you're playing has no chance of winning against, if you're looking at the deck and realize that it's a Brig deck or a Genka deck or some other gimmick deck that is going to have, you know, be a very specific kind of game, a Heart of the Forest game, for example, you are under no obligation to play. And if you hit play and deal out those cards, then basically it's you saying, yes, I do actually want to play in this game. And if you didn't look and check in to see if you were going to be loading into a game that might not be to your taste, that's on you and not on anybody else. So that was an important reminder for myself. You are allowed to walk away from games. And as much as I believe it's important to be able to walk away from a game you're not having fun playing, even in the middle of that game, by conceding and saying good game, I think it's also important to look at your opponent's deck and realize that perhaps it's not the game you're looking for and say, uh, you know what, I, I don't think I was actually interested in playing against uh, a Genka deck today or a Brig deck today. Have a good one and concede right then and there. That's incredibly thoughtful. All right, you can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Sydney? I am SC Steel on Discord and TCO, and I actually got in under the wire the last couple of hours of signups for ABR, and I, I finally I decided to do it. So I'll be playing ABR this season. Excellent. Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? You can find me on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake. Search my YouTube under the same name, and as well as on Discord at Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840. Uh, right now, I am just plotting my next deck giveaway for this month. Uh, I decided to do it instead of just like a deck a week. I'm going to do something where I will draw three names and then reveal the decks. And then I will have those people contact me and decide which decks they're going to play. And I'm hoping 
they will choose the same deck because then I'm going to play a game kind of like, you know, on the red carpet. It's like, who wore it better? It's going to be who played it better, though, (laughs) times now. And we're going to have people play the same deck against itself. And whoever wins is the winner of the deck. Love it. Top notch. All right. We will be back again on Monday. That's right. Monday with a brand new episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay fortunate.